Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I'm Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics. When last we left our heroes, a kind of a lot had happened. It's, as I mentioned before, the, the previously ons can get very complicated here because I've got to try to set the stage for you a little bit. Princess Ovelia, who you remember is at the sort of center of this story so far, this young woman who should theoretically be the heir to the crown, but most people don't know about that, and she's kind of being manipulated in all of these different ways. She's been kidnapped several times now. (laughs) And we had taken her as the hero party, that is, Ramza Baelv, the Holy Knight Agrius and a retinue of you know, trusted companions took her to Lionel, to the Cardinal de la Croix, essentially to the church, into the arms of the church, where they believed that she would be safe. From the political opponents, Goltana and Larg, who are fighting each other over who should take over now that the king has died, and the only heir that people are talking about is a very young boy, a baby boy. So, with all of that going on, our party has just decided to try to hide this princess away so she doesn't become an innocent casualty in all of this. And while doing that, we uncover yet another plot. And that is that the Cardinal and some other people seem to be interested in these ancient stones, which he explained last episode, relate to their ancient religion and their beliefs about the the Braves, and there's, there's a whole lot going on there, and the Lukavi, and, and all of the spiritual themes, right? So now these stones are a big part of the story. And we had gone off Ramza with our new friend Mustadio, the machinist, who knew of the location of one of these stones. We had gone off with him to retrieve it, leaving Ovelia and Agrius with the Cardinal, who we were assuming they were safe with, back at the castle. Good so far? This previously on is going to be a whole episode. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Uh, And we actually have to do a little bit more because we really do need to begin with a breakdown of the scene that we played at the very end of the last episode. So given the current circumstances, Ramza and Mustadio, who, by the way, kind of swindled the Cardinal by giving him or his goons a fake stone, have managed to avoid the immediate catastrophe of having given the powerful object to the person we've just learned is a traitor. And in fact, we were not safe around, but now we've realized we left our friends, Ovelia and Agrius, in their, again, in giant quotes, care. (laughs) And so we need to rush back. But of course, you can't just go straight back through the front gates of the castle now that we know they're an enemy. So we have to sneak in. They decide to go by boat and through a town called Wargilis, a port city. Wargilis, I believe they, they pronounce it properly in the cutscene that we played. And that is where Ramza runs into his old friend, Delita. I do like the opening line when Ramza just says to himself in that cutscene, cogs and gulls, no hint of Lionel's griffins. 
Again, we're using that kind of code talk we discussed last time where Ovelia is the mockingbird and now Lionel and uh, has griffins, you know, that the, 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 his ears or his spies or his people might be around and we're trying to avoid them. We're incognito right now. And then once Ramza spots Delita, they have this really interesting conversation. And Delita says, you know, we have ears in many places. Few things escape our hearing. And that brings up the first big question of this whole thing that doesn't get answered. And Ramza rightfully says, our, who, who are you working for, Delita? Who are you yeah. with right now? What is your allegiance? Who is we? Yeah. Delita refuses to answer the question. He's gotten very good at the politicking of just changing the conversation a little bit to whatever he wants to talk about. And he tries to warn him off, right? And he tells him to delve no deeper into matters of royal maidens or those of sacred stones, basically setting up the two most important things happening right now. And Ramza getting past, okay, fine. If you're not going to tell me who you're with, then tell me what you know. Right. That's the, you know, what have these ears of yours been telling you? And I love this metaphor that Delita gives him. He's when he says, you know, you think to save a princess from a burning tower. In truth, you would but set her on a higher floor. Really good metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then declaring himself, you know, the only person capable of saving her. And then they return to the conversation they had right before you know, doing the blowing the grass and making the whistle sound and in that beautiful scene, this whole conversation about endeavor, right? And Delita says, it's simple, really. Noble endeavors do not always reach the end that we desire. You know, I would save Titra with these two hands if only endeavor would allow me, but he knows better that endeavor isn't enough. And then he says to him this, Ira, something very cryptic and more foretelling and foreboding than you would know at the time. He says, you cannot save the princess, however hard you endeavor to save her. And you would do well to remember that. Yeah, it sounds like whomever Delita is working for, working with, whoever is manipulating him, perhaps, sees the princess as a pawn that's already been sacrificed. Yeah. Now Ramza asks... A third question, right? First, who are you with? Doesn't get an answer. Second, what do you know? Doesn't really get an answer to that either. Third, then what is your end in all of this, Delita? I fear I do not know. So what do you want? What is your goal? What are you doing? You don't have to tell me who you're with or everything that you know, but what are you doing here? And to this, as cryptic and mysterious as it is, Delita actually does give an answer. And I love this little bit of sly poetry he gives him. The Duke's Larg and Goltana, your brothers, and all the rest. They are all of them swept up in a mighty current, a current they cannot see or feel. I simply swim against it. Nothing more. Yeah, that's good. So, so I get two things from this, I guess. One, he, he's going against all the rest, right? He's going against whatever the noble plans may be. But also, he's, if he's swimming against the current, if he feels like he's on his own, then even whomever he's working with now, 
I feel like he's implying he doesn't necessarily give them his loyalty either. This right. whole bit feels to me like a very gentle way of saying, fuck the empire, death to tyrants, burn it all down. Yes. So it's, it's not quite like Joker burning a pile of money. It's less chaotic than that, I guess. And I do feel like he's got the good of some people in mind, just not anybody born on the inside of castle walls. Right. It reminds me very much of a scene. And again, I don't want to give too much away here, but you're right that this is as close as we've gotten to hearing Delita's motives. And this line is obviously much clearer in hindsight when you get to the end of the story. But it reminds me of, sorry to do it again, Game of Thrones and a particular scene with the character Littlefinger, who's much slimier than Delita, but still develops this similar, like, lowborn, does all the spying and, and politicking and isn't really necessarily on anybody's side. And there's this great scene where... Actually, a lot of things are going on in the scene, and it's kind of famous for a reason. You know, he owns a, a whorehouse, and so there's sex stuff going on. But he explains his long relationship with House Stark, who remembers very much like House Beowulf in this story. These great warriors and a long line of noble knights, and everyone knows who they are, and everyone believes in their gravitas and all of this, right? And he explains, you know, basically gotten beaten up by these guys over the years and he, he loses every fight and he's a little guy and, and, and all of these things. And the long run of it is, the, the exclamation point at the end of Littlefinger's speech is, I'm not going to fight them. I can't fight them. That's not who I am. I'm going to f*** them. That's who I am. And there's a similar thing going on here with Delita, where he's talking about this current and the fighting and like all, all of the fighting with each other. And he's got this idea of like, no, 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 I'm not going to play their game. I am going to play my game. And I am going to f*** them. All of them. Like you said, everyone born behind a castle wall. And... Again, the, I wanted to talk about that here, even though it does give away some of where the story is going and a little bit of where the, the Delita arc is headed, just because I think this is so well written and so well done. And if you want to return to it later, once you do know, it's like, man, he was telling us he just wasn't giving anything away, which is really good writing, by the way. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah, it's that thing that Final Fantasy so frequently does when it shows us the two moons. Right, right. right. Uh, where, where it tells us what's going on without telling us what's going on. And I do like that he finishes by telling Ramza, you know, I hope we meet again. And you get the sense that he means it, that he still has some compassion or some kind of care for his friend, even if you also got the sense from the line before, again, especially upon a second or third replay, that. Roms was one of them too to Delita a little bit, you know. He, he mentions his brothers. Certainly the family is. Certainly the family. They killed his sister. Yeah. You know. Deliberately. On purpose. Yeah. Get her out of the way. 
So we get a scene shift back inside Castle Lionel, and we've got now Cardinal Delacroix holding court with two very seedy figures, Gafgarian, the infamous sellsword who's been working for the bad guys who are paying him the most, mostly Ramses brothers and apparently now the church, and Ludovic, the head of the Birch Trading Company, who we had uncovered in the last episode is basically a collection of capitalist thieves and a mob. Basically, they're, they're the mob, <laughs> I guess. Very legitimate businessmen. Right, right. And we come in on the middle of a conversation because Gafgarian, who we, again, we know he doesn't have compunction about doing terrible things, but he does double check on them. And that appears to be what he's doing here by asking the cardinal, you know, you're going to use the princess as bait to try to get your stone? I didn't think a man of the cloth would be so cunning. Like, he's almost yeah, impressed. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit like he's buttering him up, but also like, are you sure this is what we want to do? So it's, for all that he's an asshole, and like you said, he's kind of an, an equal opportunity asshole, right? But also, like, he is just out for himself. Like, totally. he is just trying to survive this current that Delito was describing last scene. It's it's that Jack Sparrow line of, now a dishonest man you can trust to be dishonest. <laughs> Honestly, right? So there's a brief back and forth, and Ludovic basically tries to pin the whole thing on Gafgarian, and Gafgarian basically says, hey, you know, I maybe could have stopped the whole thing, but it wasn't really my job. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So then we get some clever exposition through dialogue from Delacroix. The Cardinal says, first of all, he tells Ludovic to shut it. And then he says, we will hand Princess Ovelia over to Lord Dysdarg as promised. That much serves us both. But it is no concern of mine if those who know the truth of her kidnapping live. I had no hand in it. Be that as it may, the thieves who stole the gem are now with them. If we use the princess to lure them out... We get two birds and one stone. Ah, uh, cute. Yeah, good job localization team, too, because I don't know that two birds with one stone is necessarily an idiom in Japanese or right. how old it is. I don't know it, you know, where it translated, but whoever did that, mwah, chef's kiss. So Gafgarian basically says, yeah, you know, that'll work. There, there are risks, but sure, we, we can do that. We can hold the princess's bait. And now it's flipped and the Cardinal is saying, oh, are, are you being craven now? Like, Kafkarian <laughs> hmm. says, ah, cautious. And points out, I think, something that you had in a previous episode. He says, you know, a soldier does not live to become old and gray, charging onto the field of battle unawares. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Again, he's an asshole, but I can't fault him for a lot of what he says and does in these situations because everyone in the room is more powerful than him. Yeah. And he's just trying to continue to live out his life without, you know, being killed by a, I don't know, a, a political garrot. Right. So they basically agree that that should be the plan and Gafgarian says, and you should probably leave me in charge of the rest of it. Like you take care of the stone stuff. I'll go take care of Rams and his friends better than this guy who's clearly not good at it, which Ludovic <laughs> takes a great deal of defense, uh, offense to. But De La Croix just agrees and sends Gafgarian on his way and Ludovic starts to 
protest and says, how can you trust a man like that? And I can't be, and, and you really get the sense here that this is a super slimy, like this is one of those guys, again, as much as we don't want to necessarily respect Gaff Garion, like this is a world, a dirty world and his hands are dirty and he knows what's out there and he knows what it is. You just get the sense of this Ludovic guy, like he's been living on silk sheets his whole, like as much as he, he's in a dirty business, like his hands are not, you know what I mean? He's a, right. he's a, button pusher he's a middle he's, management yeah. he tells other people to go and do he's stuff. got people who who do the dirty work yeah he just reaps the benefits do you suppose he built the bart trading company or he inherited it oh he totally someone else had it he bought it or or inherited it from uh yeah a relative or, or something like that which is maybe why i i don't feel so bad that very slowly, as the camera just starts to pan away, we realize that the the cardinal has had it with this guy, and he gives him this line. He says, of Gafgarian, I will trust things to those who can be trusted. Men who fail me time and again, however, are rewarded in another way. And then he stabs him in the back. We present to get the the kind of silly Final Fantasy tactics. Oh, sound when somebody dies, but the camera goes red. It's a little, it's it's not the, it's a little goofy. I won't I won't lie, but for what's it's also dark and creepy when you just think about what's happening. Yeah, it it's weird and it's creepy, and you know we just talked about Ludovic not getting his own hands dirty here. De La Croix is is happy to get his hands dirty, taking out Ludovic, which is. Interesting. Yeah. So we scene shift again, and we're right outside the castle. So we're basically in between where our heroes are coming from and where we just saw our villains plotting. And we see a familiar person running for her life, and it's Lady Agrius, the Holy Knight. We're here to rescue you. Oh, are you are you rescuing yourself? What's going on? <laughs> One of those, right? Ramza and Mustadio show up. It's clear that Agrius is being chased by soldiers, so a battle ensues. We get another one of these scenes where they're conversing with each other across the field of battle, and Ramza even gets to give the classic Luke Skywalker line, We've come to rescue you! <laughs> but you're not in the castle, you're outside the castle. And Agrius says, The Cardinal betrayed us! <laughs> to which we're like, we know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. Uh, he was betraying us all along. Again, probably should have figured that out. But yeah, uh, he plots with Duke Larg. We escaped the castle, but the princess was retaken. I was returning to save her, and here you find me. We must hurry, Ramza. They are to execute her. Well, that's not good. We, we did the terrible. opposite. We were, the one thing we were trying to do was save the princess, and we just delivered her to her executioner. That's not good. So we win the battle. Agrius rejoins the party, and we're off to save the princess again, hopefully, for real this time. <laughs> so we arrive at the gallows, uh, and we see that uh, Princess Ovelia is there. She's in uh, a cloak with the hood up, and there's an executioner here. And we, we're arriving just in time. So so Ramza's got this line. He says, we are come for the princess. Stand down or take her place on the gallows. Which Aha. is a, a poetic way of threatening death. Yeah. He's getting better and better at it. Like, he's spent enough time around Agrius and Gafgarian when they were going back and forth. Like, Ramza's trash talk is picking up. It's not there yet, but it's picking up. 
So the executioner says, Ha ha, the trap is sprung. Oh, trap! <laughs> Tur- turns out uh, the executioner is actually Gafgarian. Princess is, is one of his compatriots, so a soldier on his side. And Gafgarian calls Ramza a gallant fool. I mean, at times. Yeah, I mean, right. fair enough. Yeah, sure. Do you remember Highlights, Goofus and Gallant? No. Highlights was a kid's magazine back that when I, I was remember. a kid. Yeah. Right, and there was this cartoon. So Goofus was the rude boy and Gallant was the good boy. And they would show them doing like the same situation, but Gallant did the right thing and Goofus did the wrong thing. Anyway, I see, sure. A, a Gallant fool reminds me of that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. totally an aside. There's there's a big fight now. With, so Roms is on the inside. Everybody else is on the outside. You got to like run over and open the door to let your allies in. And then we get a big old argument from Gafgarian uh, about utilitarianism. So, uh, of course, Ramza wants to know, hey, where's the princess? And, of course, Gafgarian wants to know, hey, where's the stone? So now we're kind of locked in this thing, right? And Gafgarian has this great line where he says, might we spare ourselves these tiresome feints? I speak of the cardinal's gemstone. The one who stole it travels with you, and I would have it surrendered. Ramza gives him, again, he's, he's working on his trash talk. It's still a little basic, but gives him, you know, if you want it, come and get it. Oh, all right, okay. Good babyface hero stuff there. That's that's not too bad. Um, and Gafgarian even mocks him at that. Oh, the boy thinks himself a man. Well, then let us finish this like men. But throughout the fight, again, it's it's where we get into this argument and he's basically saying hey you know not too late to change your mind uh you know what what does it matter if one person has to be sacrificed for the greater good essentially he even says you know i i could take you back to your brothers and they will forgive what is done and now again rams i feel like he's improving in real time in the trash talk that says then let him forgive this as well for i'll play no part in his foul plots uh, which is great he's like no your brothers will totally totally forgive you and ramza's response is literally forgive this <laughs> <laughs> like yes and and so uh, ramza says my lord brother seeks to ignite war to further his own ends if such a thing is not foul sir then pray tell me what is and, and then we really get to the gross, the, the long-used analogy for those who do believe in like an extremist utilitarianism, right? When he says, a man does not eat an omelet without breaking eggs. You know, blood is the price of progress. It is the ink in which history's pages are writ. Look around you, boy. Ivelisse rots from within. Your brother would carve out the root of its decay, even if it means his hands must needs be soiled. And I had forgotten that line was coming when I was just talking about Gafgarian being a guy willing to get his hands dirty and Ludovich not. But now you've got Gafgarian being a guy willing to get his hands dirty and Ramza not, or at least not in this way. You know, Gafgarian makes an interesting argument. The question is, is that really what Ramza's brothers are after? Are they really trying to do some utilitarian thing where they feel like they've got to break a few eggs to make an omelet? Or are they opportunists who are using the fact that this is an endless cycle and always happens to, as Ramza said, further their own ends? Right. I So, so I got a few comments here. One, 
let us settle this like men. Good Lord. Why, yeah, uh, why do we boys. assume that behaving like a man means behaving violently? I hate that so much. So I've said this or something like it before. Uh, when I was growing up, I was never masculine enough for a lot of my peers and even a few of my uh, sports coaches. I just reject the idea that that's what masculinity is, that it's hard and physical and violent. That's, that's nonsense. That's not what it necessarily has to be to be a man. My second thing is, why is Gafgarian now like, is, is he legitimately making an argument for what these folks are doing? Because earlier I was talking about how it really feels to me like he's just trying to survive in this world. But does he really have an idealistic point of view? Like, does he have, you know, a set of ideals and policies that he thinks are correct and ought to be? I get the impression more often than not that his ideal is his own survival. But does he really buy into this utilitarian break an omelet with making eggs? Sorry, reverse that. Yeah, right. Uh, you, you know, I I don't think so. I think what he's doing is doing his best to try to end the conflict in the way with him least likely to die. And if he can talk Ramza out of the fight, he'll talk Ramza out of the fight and get him to surrender and then deliver him to his brothers and not care whatever happens again and not care about any of the ideology. But he's thinking maybe he could get the ideology to appeal to Ramza because it okay. runs in the family, right? Yeah, I could I could see that. My last observation on this, and it's sort of going to get borne out here a, a little bit more, but we're going back to you know utilitarianism and the trolley problem and the surgeon's dilemma, right? So briefly, the trolley problem is you have access to a lever that will change the tracks. The trolley's coming down the tracks. It will either kill three people or one. It's going to kill three people if you don't do anything. It will kill one if you do something. Do you do something? The second part of that problem is the surgeon's dilemma. That is, you've got three people who are going to die and one healthy person. If you do nothing, the three people will die. If you do something, you can take the life of the one healthy person to save those three lives. Nobody will ever find out what you did. You'll get away with it. In that situation, what you do, and does your answer change depending on the situation and why? Like, that's the examination of this sort of utilitarian concept. Right. So... You know, again, it's it's a it's a thought exercise. It's not literal. But one of the things that spec fiction does for us is make it literal. So, is Ovelia's life worth saving the kingdom? But of course, it's a bullshit proposition. It's a false dichotomy, right? Because they're not, like you just said, you were questioning, do, do the Beowulfs really want to sacrifice one princess for the sake of everybody in the kingdom? Or are they just opportunist assholes, right? They know that this utilitarian line is bullshit, right? Like, like I said before, the only way to win the trolley problem, if you're taking it literally, is to break the trolley problem. It's the only way to win is not to play. And that's what the Bales, we think, potentially, are doing. Right. Is, yeah, trying to trolley problem their way. Like, and that's the best interpretation of their motivations here if they do have the best of motivations that's it is that they're trying to utilitarian their way into a better world because yeah like you said save the world save the world for who you know just for them for people like them you know do they plan on making radical changes to what was bothering the corpse brigade at the beginning and again we'll get back into some of this here in just a minute but 
yeah, so a lot of deep, difficult questions going on there. Even if you buy Gafgarian's argument and that that's what House Beelv is truly after, it's it's still difficult. And like you said, you know, sometimes the answer is, or more often than not, the answer is break the trolley, break the rails, break the wheel, as Daenerys Targaryen would say in Game of Thrones. And it appears as though Delita is more on that path when he says, I swim against the current. I'm I'm trying to break this whole thing down, right? Or Gafgarian is basically saying, play the game and play it well, Ramza, and you stand to benefit. And Ramza, I think for the second or third time now, gives us this mantra of, I will not stand by and watch as Lady Ovelia is made to be another teacher. He's very, very Batman in this element of his life of not tonight, not another one, right? Right, exactly. Not the innocent young women who have nothing to do with all of this misogynistic dick measuring contest that y'all are doing over land and resources and power and titles and gemstones. It's always the men. Anyway. Oh, almost always. Yeah, almost always. So Gafgarian pushes back on that a little bit and says, Hey, there was no avoiding what happened at Fort Zeekden. You are the heir of Baal Vramza and you have a duty as such, and you have to see your duty fulfilled. And, I love what Ramza says next, because this is another one of those things that I feel like just isn't applied enough in the real world. This is one of the times where his heroism just, it really shines through. And I, and I get to proudly call him a hero of the story because he says, was it my fate to let Titra die? No, fate had no hand in that. Titra died because I could not be bothered to save her. I lied to myself all this time. It was my own inaction that killed her. And I just, I love that so, 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 so much because I feel like we're incredibly conditioned, especially in modern American society, to deflect responsibility, especially when you aren't the one who directly did the thing, right? Ramza didn't shoot Titra in the chest with a crossbow bolt. Right? He didn't kidnap her or put her in that situation. But he recognizes and accepts that he had a responsibility at various points throughout his life to stand up to his brothers and stop that kind of thing. Not just for Titra. She is now the symbol, again, the the Batman's dead parents of his mantra of that just should not be acceptable. And anyone who allows it to happen is responsible. Not just the people who did it. The people who stand by and do nothing are also responsible. And I was right there. And apparently, Agrius (laughs) (laughs) had no idea that Ramza was a bail. Remember, he was just some sellsword guy running with Gafgarian when they met. Yeah, because he he tried to leave it behind, right after after walking away from Zeekden, he's like, "No, I'm no longer a bailiff." Yeah, but that's not really how that works. Yeah, and I I'm I I also like I think you're correct. I also like that he takes responsibility, at least some, 
for the death of Titra and those like her. Yeah. I also love this next part, and you and I have hinted about something similar that happens in Final Fantasy XV, and we'll leave it at that. But an opportunity here for our two like primary good guys right now to have a spat because you know the Beowulfs have kidnapped the princess and Lady Agrius the only we, she has one motivation 100% of the time so far in this story keep the princess safe so you know Ramza immediately starts oh, I'm not like my brothers you know I didn't you know please don't don't think and she says do you think I would doubt you now you have more than proven yourself sir like yeah. thank you for being reasonable Agrius like, oh, I love that so much and that they didn't try to drag out some unnecessary drama between the two of them. Gafgarian's line is, well, then you're fools. What is the life of one girl when weighed against the greater good? So he just he literally says the greater good. The greater good. And again, I'm not sure that he buys that. I think he is worried about himself. And I, th- I like your imp- interpretation that he's trying to appeal to Ramza's sense of duty or, or whatnot. You know, just trying to talk him down. Right. Yeah, good lord, just be being plain with his she can die so the rest of us can live nonsense. And then Ramza gives the speech that I feel like several comic book heroes have given and kind of a mantra that you and I have, have tried to mention. It's throughout Final Fantasy, it's this is this is it, right? This is what makes it a Jedi. Not one of the bad ones, and we know not all Jedi are pretty. What is the ideal of a Jedi, of a light warrior, of a hero. What makes that person? Well, here it is. Ramza says, I see no good in using people. Only deception and death. I will not stand by any longer as innocents fall prey to your good. I will not let you harm the princess. Yeah. There it is. That there it is. That is the that is the ideal. That is that is the stand. That is what heroes are meant to stand for. And and so I like that he rejects this nonsense. He re- he rejects this false dichotomy because it isn't good. And and it certainly like like it might be different if Princess Ovelia chose this for herself, as perhaps Yuna does in Final Fantasy X. Right? That's different. Right. You don't get to decide for other people that they need to be sacrificed for your good and then try to couch it in terms of everyone's good. Nonsense. (laughs) Right. So, they clash swords. Because you're very good at the video game, Ramza wins. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As couched in storyline, Gafgarian had not thought he'd grown, grown so strong. Fair enough. Maybe underestimated him a little bit. Decides to retreat for now. And he teleports away again. Why, th- some of these bad guys have this special teleporty away ability. Which, fair enough. As our heroes head toward the castle, we scene shift back inside. We see a dungeon room. Ovelia is there on her knees, presumably tied up. Delita is there in his unmistakable gold armor there's a plate of food and I'm just sitting next to her and we come in on Delita saying hey you haven't touched your dinner 
You cannot live on pride alone. At least he recognizes her pride. Hmm. And, Mandelita is really cold to her in this scene, even if there's a certain element of he's the one treating her with the most amount of respect. It's weird. It's a really interesting dynamic and tone here. But he begins by saying, you know, if you think to starve yourself, none would weep, you know. There are many who would be gladdened by your passing. So stop being stubborn and eat. Hmm. But it's also kind of a reverse psychology thing. I don't know. There's Delita's working like he's playing 4D chess here, but it's like that's brutal, man. Just to tell somebody, a lot of people be really happy if you were dead. But we also know that at least right now, that's if if that's what Delita wanted was for her to just be dead right now. She'd be dead right now. Right. He wants her to eat. So Ovelia finally calls him out and says, you were in league with the Cardinal all along, weren't you? What do you mean to do with me? If you'd not give me over to Larg, then what is your intent? And Delita responds to put you where you truly ought to be. That is not an answer, Delita, because it kind of sounds like he wants her on the throne. But we also know that he wants to burn it all down. Yeah, right. So, again, cryptic. He's very cryptic now. That's just kind of his thing. (laughs) Yeah. And Ovelia responds wisely, I would say. So you would manipulate me as well. And showing that pride, he said, I'll not do it, you know. I'll not bend to your whims. And Delita says you will. If you wish to survive, you have no other choice. Yay, yay, yay. All right, let me ask you something. Yeah. If all you had to do to survive was bend to Delita's whims, if all you had to do to make it through to the end of this epic was not show any stubborn pride to Delita Hyrule, would you swallow it? Or would you say, I'll not bend to your whims? I mean, in this particular situation, I would probably just swallow it and go along because I wouldn't feel like I had any agency. You know, I'd, I wouldn't feel like I had any choice, as he says there. But, yeah, she summons quite some strength to even say that. Right. And I, I just feel like, yeah, she she's not playing the long game, but she also doesn't care to play the game. And I was just talking about the only way to win is not to play. Right. I don't know. I'm, it seems I'm not like that's sure. what she's trying to do here is just not cooperate. That's the best thing that she can do, right? It might be the only thing she's got. Exactly. So before Delita can clarify what he means, he seems to get conveniently interrupted a lot. <laughs> the Cardinal and a purple-robed knight enter the room. And the knight says, so this is Lady Ovelia. So, the Cardinal goes about, you know, with some false pleasantries. It's a bit weird. He started to be like, I hope your spirits find you well. And oh, it was a bit intense, this room is. I thought it would be a little more tame. I, I don't know why we've kept you in such a, a cheerless place as this, he says. <laughs> like, surely he had to have known they put her in the dungeons. <laughs> right. So, he's just 
messing with her here. Again, doing the fake Dumbledore thing we've seen before. And the knight responds, These seem lavish enough quarters for a false princess. And the music changes. (laughs) What? (laughs) What do you mean false princess? Record scratch. (laughs) (laughs) And then based on her clearly shocked response, it becomes obvious to everyone in the room that she didn't know. Right. The Cardinal says she does not yet know and calls the knight Lord Falmarv? Falmarv? Falmarv. Falmarv is a weird name. Falmarv is how it's spelled. Feels a little weird to say, but Falmarv. Lord Falmarv. Who says, how pitiable. Already don't like this guy. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like that at all. (laughs) It's pretty easy to dislike a lot of these people. Delita's not wrong. Right. (laughs) Totally, dude. Burn it all down. So, long bit of exposition through dialogue here, but to be fair, it makes perfect sense because Avelia demands an explanation and Lord Falmarv is apparently in position and enough knowledge to give one. And so he says, very well, you are not Ovelia Atkasha. The true princess died years ago. You are her double. Which, maybe because I just watched the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, also reminds me of the Padme double situation and Star Wars. Like, this idea. And it's a real-world thing, right? Where political leaders and uh, important people who might be assassinated for any number of reasons would have a double to send to certain public events or whatever. So I guess that's who this lady Ovelia is. She was a stand-in or a double is the claim here for the real Lady Ovelia Atkasha. Which is interesting because, you know, in your Star Wars example, right, like Padme's double knew she was, like all the handmaidens knew that they were potentially doubles. Right. But Ovelia here seems to not have known that. Assuming, let's be clear, Assuming for a moment that it's even true. They could be lying. Right. Which is interesting because we even get a hint at that in his next bit of explanation. Now, she protests. She says, that's absurd. Falmarv says, it is neither absurd nor untrue. You are not, Ovelia. You are a straw doll placed in an empty crib by council members who bear no love for the queen. It was their intent that you would someday succeed the throne and relieve Queen Loveria of her power. They placed you in the royal family after assassinating the queen's two eldest sons, attributing their deaths to malady. The deception was complete, and your ascent all but sealed. King Andoria was sickly and seemed unlike to father another son, But against all odds, another prince was born. Whether he is in truth of Andoria's seed is highly suspect, of course. Like as not, Duke Larg found some other sire to ensure his sister's place as mother to the king. Regardless, all of the council's work was made for naught. 
the moment Prince Oranus drew his first breath. This is gross. This is awful. <laughs> so, yes. So just to be clear, we got the two factions, right? We, we got the faction that supports the queen taking the crown, and we got the faction uh, that is the the council members who don't like the queen, and that's why we've got Larg, the, the white lion of the north, supporting his sister, the queen, and Goltana, the black lion of the south, supporting the council, or with the support of the council, rather. And so, yeah, that all of this, like the council's been working on this for years. They've hated the queen for years. So yeah. they they killed off her other two sons, pretend they died of sickness. They had extra Ovelias around, the the bastard sister of the king. And once the, the sons are dead, the sister can be adopted. But apparently the real sister, by which we mean the, the girl born to the king's father, but not the king's mother, died. But they've got this this uh, double going, which is really convoluted. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be easier to just, like, institute a democratic vote and then manipulate that? <laughs> you would think, right? But now no, they're very into the bloodlines and, and all of that, of course. So, yeah, right. and, and even that note there that even Prince Oranus might not actually be the king's son. So we could right. have ultimately two factions. At the end of the day, one that will... Now, it'll it'll be a long time, and one of the reasons they want the power with Oranus is because he's a baby. And so when right. you can rule as regent, you're basically the king for at least, you know, 12, 13, maybe 15 years. But... Right. And, and doesn't that all this just go to show how ludicrous... Right. Claimed by birthright is. <laughs> totally. Like, it's all nonsense. Because one side is fighting for a baby who may or may not be the king's son. And the other side is ultimately trying to fight, not really for, but use as a tool for their own power, but still have ascend to the throne this young girl who is not a princess, according to them, but is a body double, is right, an actor. Right. It's a Manchurian candidate. <laughs> It's, None of these is, people have a legitimate claim to the throne as un, as legitimate as understood by the very people who are trying to put them on the throne. Right. It's all theater. It's all nonsense. That's right. Even according to their own ludicrous rules that on face value do not make sense. They're they're breaking all of them. And, and as you said, playing it out as theater in public to try to convince enough armies worth of people to die in battle to support the claim of one or the other. It's almost as if these wars are absolutely absurd. Yeah. That's a good story. (laughs) So one more time, Ovelia, really all she's got at this point is to call him a liar. And Falmarv says, believe what you like, child. It is of little consequence. You may have been born a butcher's daughter for all it concerns us. Why are these people so... He's taken Argoth's mantle as grossest, classist in the story so far. They look down on the working class without whom they would not survive. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we talked about all these working class people? Yeah. And how important they are? Goodness. So he says, we hold a trump card in our hands. He's talking about her. Right. God. Then he says, the stock from which it was cut matters not. So he admits it 
Yeah. Right. Doesn't even matter. He admits it doesn't matter. All that matters is the symbol that they say she is. So once again, being, I think, a bit more logical and prudent than I would be in this situation, Ovilio recognizes she has another question left. Well, then what do you want from me? Like, okay, fine. If it doesn't matter, I either am or I'm not the princess. What do you want me to do? And then Fulmarf says, oh, not at all, sweet child. We wish only that you be our princess, as you always have been. Like, then what was all, you son of a, mm-hmm. what? Ooh. Right. So, so one of the reasons. Even tell her that. <laughs> exactly. So one of the reasons I bring up that they might be lying about all this. Right. Is because they could be lying just to manipulate her, to make her think that she's not of house at Kashka and therefore needs their protection. Right. Like, so either way, whether she is or is not the true born Ovelia. Now, because she has this seed of doubt planted in her head, they think at least that that she'll have to go to them for protection. Because she can't go to Largo Gotana. Right, which Falmarv mentions. Like, you, you go to Larg, he's just going to hang you. And you know that. So, look around. What are your options? Right. And then, and I love, again, the way this kind of mirrors that scene with Ramza and Delita earlier where Ramza was just asking all the pertinent questions and not really getting any great answers. Uh, Ovelia is doing that now. And she gets to a very pertinent one. Who are you? And Falmarv says, we are no friends of Duke Larg, nor do we sit in Goltana's camp. Think of us simply as allies. Yeah, because this story needed another faction. Right, right. So it's, I mean, we took her to the church thinking they were a a neutral third party. Well, they are a third party to be sure, but they seem to be manipulating or, or doing their best to manipulate Larg and, and Goltana just as much as Larg and Goltana are trying to manipulate and fight against each other. Though their goal seems to be more about getting the gemstones than about right. getting the throne or the crown. Sure, sure. The, the The church is much more interested in the stones than in the crown, but uh, they are also seem to be pitting Larg and Goltana against each other. So they decide to leave the princess and give her time to think, and the cardinal and Falmarv leave. Delita sort of lingers behind, again giving us that indication that he's thinking differently than everybody in the room, that he again has his own agenda, he has a faction unto himself, and also maybe that unlike these other people who are clearly very happy to use her, even though they may mean her less harm than everybody else in the world, they clearly don't care like about her feelings at all. And Delita maybe does a little bit. (laughs) Sure. And so, you know, he sort of needs to be beckoned out of the room. Uh, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Come Delita, they say, and he follows like a good little stamp. Well, Then, Ira, we get another abrupt scene shift, and we open somewhere very unexpected, I would say, especially if this is your first time in the story. And even having played it before, I was like, oh, right, this comes back in here. And we open on Wygraph. For those of you who haven't been keeping notes and dedicated 
trees of all the characters and relations and everything that's going on here, Wygraf was the head of the Corpse Brigade, the people fighting on behalf of the impoverished who were basically snuffed out by our, at that time, especially questionable heroes in the opening of the game. And Wygraf is at the grave of his sister Meluda, who we killed during all of that. And he is saying to her, I thought to deliver swift vengeance, yet here I am before you, my own blade sheathed beside me, as yours lies sheathed within the earth. I have failed at much, but I shall not fail you. Your killers will know vengeance. In this, at least, I shall not be disgraced. Man. I want... So, we've read from the script a lot, and I said at the beginning we were going to do so because the language is so good, and I think that's been self-evident throughout. But I really want to highlight in this particular scene the purpose and the meaning of the poetry of the words because what happens here is that we're just reintroduced to a character this could just be Wygraf oh he's still alive oh and he's got a goal and now he's going to go to a place but the beauty of the poetry here speaks so much to just everything in the world and I, th- I think the words they're just absolutely wonderful. So after saying all of that, the beautiful speech to his sister's grave, a man from off screen says, you speak of a thing beyond your doing. Again, that running metaphor from Delita, endeavor as one person will endeavor grant me an army. You speak of a thing beyond your doing. Wygraf says, show yourself. So the man does. He shows himself. He comes out and sort of wearing blue robes, mostly covering his whole body, but you can see his face. And he says, put aside your sword. I've no wish to cross blades with the leader of the corpse brigade. Even if the brigade itself is no more, my apologies. My words salt wounds still fresh and that was not my intent your men died valiantly and Wygraf says make your purpose plain again I ah this that's that's mm. nice because people are talking in metaphors and code words and not saying what they really want and Wygraf is right make your purpose plain do you want it says my name is Lafrey and I come at another's behest My purpose is a simple one, to find you. We'd hoped you might be persuaded to work with us toward our common goal. Wygraf, skeptical and in disbelief, responds, Common goal? Ha! What just this? Claiming the bounty on my head is no goal of mine, but that is what you seek, am I not mistaken? Again, all of this could be said much more simply, and I'm just happy that it isn't. (laughs) Right, they... I agree. The The script is well done in the War of the Lions version. Lafrey says, Pardon my presumption, but I do not think the tears upon your cheek those born of laughter. 
he said, you be crying, bruh. Yeah. And then Lafrey says, it is not coin that we desire. It is our wish to rebuild Ivalice, to uproot her foundations and seek that she is not twice made slave to nobility. And that is what you seek, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, it is. That is absolutely correct. So Wygraf says, you have my ears. Do you have my axe? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of it, didn't say it. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Laffrey says, our ideals are not so different. A fire burns in you as it burns in us. Your strength, your passion, your spirit. We would welcome these to our cause. And Wygraf, suddenly feeling... Like Princess Ophelia says, you mean to use me. Yeah. And Laffrey's response does not deny it. Right. This is an interesting phrase. This is an interesting response to you mean to use me. Uh, the, the Cardinal and them could have used this one a minute ago. Laffrey says, to every coin, there are two faces. Do you not consider the other? Essentially, yes, I do mean to use you, but might the other side of the coin be to your benefit, sir? Join yeah. us, and our power becomes yours to wield. Have you alone the strength to venge Meluda? Have you alone the power to grasp the reins of Ivalice? Hmm. Join me, son, and together we will rule the galaxy. <laughs> right? It's the same idea. Yes, this power is dangerous. Yes, we mean to use you. But wouldn't you rather be on our side? Wouldn't you rather be on the side of power and crush those who, who dare to face us? And who have wronged you? Right. I mean, he was just swearing vengeance on a grave and stuff, so, you know. Exactly. Would you rather be like your sister in the ground or that little girl who got killed at Zeekden? Is that what you want? Right. Or do you want to be the one pulling the trigger? So we're back now at Lionel Castle and Ramza and crew have finally broken through and they're, they're getting to the gate and they're once again accosted by Gafgarian for the second time on their way in to try to save the princess, right? And Gafgarian once again is taunting them and, and says, you, like, look man, for the second, you just walked into a second ambush in a row right. <laughs> you know yeah but I knew the first one was coming yeah <laughs> no, no he didn't he didn't know nothing he didn't know nothing and being surrounded uh, it basically ends up coming down to a battle between Ramza and Gafgarian who must fight for one final time yeah it, it's kind of a bummer that uh, Gafgarian goes out here all he was trying to do was survive you know assuming I've got his motivations down but also well like we just said he was the one who accepted the position of be the one who who smashes as opposed to the one who gets smashed right be well, the hammer yeah, not the that, nail after this is the risk that comes with that right right <laughs> right yeah totally so again you you win the video game battle and and ramza wins the duel with gafgarian and you know as he's lying there dying ramza says goodbye gafgarian we must reach the princess before reinforcements arrive. 
and he leaves his former boss and maybe even for a moment kind of friend traveling companion but obviously a guy with no kind of moral compass where Ramza is like coming into a very strong moral compass and so you know two paths diverge in a wood and Gafgarian's lying dead in one of them <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, so we get another scene shift and it is clear that Delita has fled with the princess they are somewhere together in fact they're by very recognizable waterfalls where we had seen them before with Ramza and Agrius and ended up with the princess and you know taking her to the cardinal <laughs> anyway uh, so it ended up being a bad call on our part but we return to that area and Delita and Ovelia continue to sort of develop their dynamic and relationship and conversation and Delita says your pace has slowed are you weary we will never make it to Zeltenia at this rate and I love this response from Ovelia because she's still dealing with like the big question inside of the little question of like, are you tired? How long is it going to take us to get there? That's to her, the little question, right? The right now thing. And then the big idea that's going to be haunting her for a while of who she really is. And so she says, arriving sooner will no more make me a princess than arriving later, which is, ah, again, just some fantastic writing. And then she says that day when you saved me at these falls, it seems so distant now. Your promise to cut me free from the strings of those who manipulate me, it was an empty one, wasn't it? And as all these boys have gotten in the habit of doing, they are not answering her questions. They keep saying, it doesn't matter, or, or whether that's the case or not, and, and Delita does it again here. He says, you know, empty or no, you've no choice but to follow me. The hounds are loosed. There's nowhere for you to go. Run, and you'll still be hunted down as the princess who stands in the way of the throne. And then she finally calls him out on just being cold, which I, again, really appreciate because there's a lot going on right now, and you can be angry at people starting a war over nonsense and lying about who you are one way or the other. Either they're lying about who you are now or they lied about who you were when you were born. And you can still be upset about just the way you're being treated right this very second. She says, why must you say such things? And once again, Delita is conveniently interrupted from having to answer a difficult question because they are, as he was basically saying, you know, they're accosted. And so people come upon them and uh, they're scouts from the north and they're going to try to get them and, and their orders are to kill on sight. And so another tactical final fantasy battle ensues you win the day and you know so once again delita is in this position where he's protecting and, and fighting for ovelia or whoever she is we're going to keep calling her ovelia because that's the name we have and then delita basically uses that attack again to say see if you sit around being upset at everything no, no good will come of it he basically says bemoan your fate and wait for it to claim you, or take my hand and live. The choice is yours. And then Ovelia once again repeating this, and very clearly, I think, 
drawing her line in the sand. The only thing that she can do is say, it appears I have no choice. So back inside the castle, our heroes have finally made their way in, though we just saw that Delita and Ovelia went out the back door. And they come face to face with the Cardinal, who is a little disappointed in Gafgarian for not being able to hold him off. But he does say, Bay of Blood is not given to spill easily, even when thinned with that of a courtesan. Ugh, these Ew. people, man. So bloodline like means everything, but also nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Giving him a compliment and being totally disgusting about him at the exact same time. Gross. So he's done with all of the you know, theater of it at this point and just says, look, I'm done with all this stuff. Give me the orosite and leave. That is a generous offer and it is my last. I will say, of the offers that have been made in this story, of the completely terrible decisions people have been faced with, like, just give him the stone and walk away with your lives. For what little we know about the stone so far. He's, it, and I actually get the sense that he would let them go. Like Probably, yeah. He doesn't, yeah, like, he's not going to unnecessarily murder. He'll kill these people. Oh, but only yeah. nasty. Right, yeah, because yeah, he just killed Ludovic Bart. Uh, yeah, I, I do wonder though, what is the point of living in this world, as you know, an exile, or a refugee, uh, somebody who has crossed the church, not to mention Larg and Goltana. Like, I'm not sure it's, like, it might be magnanimous from Delacroix's point of view, but it is, it's still a death sentence, just a slower one. Yeah. And again, he gives the sort of argument, the utilitarian slash what are you even really going to do slash no endeavor without an army argument, basically saying, even if you could free the princess, which you probably can't, what are you going to do then? Have her join your band of merry thieves in the woods? Like, what, what are you even talking about, right? Like, you basically saying you have no agency here. Ramza doesn't care about any of it. Tell me where the princess is. Says, gone to Zeltania. You know, she's chosen to accept our aid. She's going to ascend the throne. And Ivelisse will be for the better. He's, again, I think, almost kind of trying to plead with Ramza, like, we don't need to necessarily do this. Join him. Go back to your brothers. and Join in on the game. Enjoy in our spoils. Join me on the dark side. You know... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's temptation for a reason, right? He would be, he'd be on the winning side of things, or at least the powerful side of things. I love what Ramza does here, and he turns his own naivete, or at least lack of experience in certain matters that he keeps getting called out on, and that is legitimately true, but he turns it back on the Cardinal when he says, you know, I actually have no wish to change the world. You know, I'm not so naive as to think that I can manipulate all these pieces and make everyone in the world do what I want to behave. That's you, dude. And in a way, that's naive, isn't it? You think you can rule the world or, or change people or rule people or whatever. That's naive. What I'm not going to do is stand by 
while men suffer and die on the whim of some select few. So, yeah. So then the Cardinal decides to go full horror movie on us. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. this game shifts genres very quickly. It does. It's weird, and it's creepy, and this was this big political drama with a little bit of magic. Fine, fine. But no, 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 no. Oh, no, the stories of, of demons long past and Zodiac Braves is about to, like, burst into this room. Ugh. Cardinal takes out the red stone that he already has, so apparently he meant to amass more, and begins to interact with it and says, I fear my words have been wasted on you and actions speak louder. And he begins to sort of coalesce with the light and in a flash he is transformed into the beast Cuculane? <laughs> I believe... I, I, I took my best run at it. Right, I, I believe... So th- this is a character, or this is a name from uh, Irish myth, legend, and folktale. And I believe it's pronounced Cuculane, but I'm not... You know, I haven't studied Gaelic for 35 years. Right. But uh, it's reused in Final Fantasy XII. Uh, It's part of the the Zodiac mythos here. But Cuculane the Impure, a beast reminiscent a little bit of the Oogie Boogie Man, if you've ever seen The Nightmare Before Christmas, sort of a sewn together large sack beast of hollow demon eyes and yeah seriously this is what's happening by the way yeah. <laughs> you're like it's, wait 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 this it's isn't weird and wild <laughs> and kind of gross like the yeah the the irish hero the, the irish figure is a a demigod and a hero who features in several stories and he wielded the weapon called the guy bulg which is a a spear whose name basically means the spear of mortal pain so like Final Fantasy sometimes does, they borrow the name without necessarily borrowing the whole concept. Right. And again, even though he looks incredibly scary and is remarkably powerful, and this is a very difficult fight, and he screams out wonderful evil villain stuff like, how shall I delight to watch you die? And things like that. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, it is the video game, so you defeat him. Which is is nice. Right. The Cardinal shifts back into his human form after he is defeated and says, How strange that I, undying, here, should die. A death come early, ere my master could return. Oh, man. What What, what master? What is going on here? Gotta say some stuff like that. And then he explodes. Uh, and then yeah, and then he explodes. So this is our going to the moon moment, right? Right. This is our our sharp uh, left turn, as it were. Uh, actually, there yeah. is something else completely. Not just that the church is is uh, manipulating events behind the scenes to to instigate a civil war, but rather that the gathering of the zodiac bravestones is resulting in the, this body horror demon transformation. Drew, right. right. What the heck is going on? more this story needed more there needed (laughs) to be more and now there is so much more it's like this almost overshadows it's like again it's it's very similar to the white walkers thing where it's like we keep watching all the houses like vie for power and a little bit of extra land and like who's gonna marry who and all that stuff but there are like literal demons 
now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we might want to pay that some mind as well. That said, we end chapter two with one last just deep dive off of the high board into the deep end of the political drama because we open or close I suppose I should say this chapter with a scene finally at Duke Goltana's keep in Zeltenia where we see as the scene opens there are many people in the room some of which we know already like Delita is there some of which we are pretty sure of by reputation Duke Goltana at the front (laughs) addressing everyone pretty clearly uh, and it's made clear right away that that's who that is and then a few other very ornately dressed people just kind of in the room and Duke Goltana addresses Delita and he says My advisors tell me that you're the one who rescued Princess Ovelia. I would have you tell me more. And of course, Goltana is, you know, not unlike Larg, a a large man, beard, long hair, long as it could get, you know, in in, in an older age, maybe thinning a bit, gray, but gravitas, you know, kind of fits the, what you would think of as Duke vying for power. (laughs) And Delita says, I am Delita Hyrule, a Black Ram lieutenant. A, a, a what? <laughs> In the service of His Excellency the Baron Grimm's. Right. This is something we heard in some of those rumors before that the hero who rescued the princess was of, of this particular order. Right. And so he says, His Excellency dispatched me to rescue the princess, and so I did, disguised as one of your own, a sheep in lion's clothing. Now I have returned. Yeah, so so Larg was trying to place the blame on Goltana by having it make by, by trying to make it look like Goltana kidnapped the princess, uh, but it was really Larg's men, but all of Larg's men dispatched were dead except for Delita, so Maybe this Baron Grimm's guy is the one Delita's been working with, who's got grand plans of burning it all down. Right. So another person introduced to the conversation, right? And then we are introduced to somebody named Chancellor Glavan. Glavane? Yeah. Might not matter that much. Spoilers. <laughs> and he says, Hyrule, you say? That is a name I've not heard before. I assume that's how he sounds. Uh, yes, absolutely. And Goltana, paying no mind to that, says, I thought Baron Grimm's and his Blackrams felled in battle against the eye of a fortnight past. We're just suddenly getting bombarded with new things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Here's a group. <laughs> the no, eye here's a group. And, yeah, okay. So new factions, new person who was presumed dead. Okay. Delita says, indeed, that dark news spurred me to return with all the greater haste. So Gautana asks after the princess, and another person in the room introduced as Bishop Kane Burek, Burek, sure, Khan Burek. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Says she is weary yet from her long journey. She sleeps as if among the dead. 
And now another new person mm-hmm. who we immediately know is going to be important because he is introduced as Count Sid Alphys. Mm-hmm. Count Sidolphus Orlando. Yeah. Simply moving the conversation forward asks about Delita having brought in a prisoner on their travels. And we see that Delita has brought someone in and this guy is, you know, obviously, you know, kind of beaten up a little bit and uh, you know says that he was uh, trying to kidnap the princess and th- they're asking him why. And he says it was to stain Duke Goltana's name and keep him from Lazalia. We thought to deny him the regent's seat. So he just comes straight out with it. He just says, look, this is what we all think it's about. And Delita says, who gave you the order, Duke Larg? And he says, no, it was a close advisor of Duke Goltana's who is seeking to curry Duke Larg's favor. In other words, there is a traitor in your midst. Possibly in this room. And Glavan says, madness. None among <laughs> us would fain betray our duke. Silence this man. He knows not of what he speaks. Drew, I want to I wanna bring up um, what we all know to be ironclad law. Whomever smelt it, dealt it. It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> you don't protest too much there, Glavan, because now yeah, everybody in this room is looking at you. Yeah. And Goltana says, oh, well, I suppose I would hear it nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> Delita says, who was it? You know, out with it. Who gave you the order? And the prisoner asks for some protection. And Delita says, on my honor as a knight, speak. And the prisoner says, "Twas the man who stands before me, Chancellor Glavain. Smelt it, dealt it. I knew it. What? I knew it all along. How dare you? I do not even know you, knave. And Delita just wants answers. Who put you to it? The queen? I've not to do with this, you know. Yeah, 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 and yeah, so just, on and so forth, yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and pretty quickly, Delita just takes out his sword and cuts him down. Just zap, you're done. Yep. Now, we've questioned every other person who swore they were telling the truth. Did Glavain really have anything to do with this? I don't know. Or it would not have been that hard for Delita to grab a guy, maybe even pay him to maybe that was, you know, just because he's wearing, you know, the the right garb doesn't mean he's actually part of that faction. Right. And yeah, it's Delita could have just set that dude up to get killed and get Curry himself favor in this. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's what happened here. Right. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Even though I was doing the voice for the other guy, who was probably—I mean, he was a douchebag anyway. So right, yeah, he—he's not still. innocent, but he was definitely a, a pawn to be sacrificed here. Oh yeah, uh, whether or not he really had anything to do with giving the false orders. And so Delita says, "Forgive me if I presume overmuch, Your Grace, but now is not the time for bandied words. The Order of the Southern Sky must march on Lazalia at once. You must go to war. You must go with it." Give your enemies but a moment to collect themselves, and they will pin the Chancellor's sedition on his lord. In other words, all this stuff that we've been doing so far, the kidnapping and the the princess, all that stuff, it's going to be pinned on you unless you march on the capital right now. You must strike before they are given the chance. Deny the prince's claim and set the princess free. 
on the throne. That's slick, Delita. That's that's pretty impressive. Speaking of yeah. the manipulative. Man. Man, that's cool stuff. And then we get this really cool still image of knights on chocobo back in the middle of battle. And we return to our narrator of the story. Remember, all of this is being told to us by an historian named Araslam, who says, Following his sack of the royal capital of Lazalia, so apparently he went through with it, <laughs> Duke Goltana banished Queen Loveria to Bessala for her hand in the conspiracy and crowned Princess Ovelia queen. Congratulations. <laughs> well done, your majesty. Yeah. But Duke Larg, insisting that Prince Oranus was the true and rightful heir, at once crowned the child prince and declared himself regent. Moving then to free the queen, Duke Larg dispatched the Order of the Northern Sky, commanded by Brothers Baelv, to Bessala in the name of the new crowned king. Duke Goltana, in turn, set the southern sky to march in Ovelia's name. The curtain had risen on what history would one day record as the War of the Lions. <laughs>